Our scripture reading tonight comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 8 say this. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, that you are consistent, that you are faithful, and that the core of who you are, you are good. You are good to us. And so, God, we, we come in here to, to thank you and uh, to continue in, in right relationship with you uh, as we have been atoned of our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ, that that's how we have access to you, our good heavenly Father. And so, God, we, we come to you tonight asking that we will be satisfied in who you are and how you give. God, as we look tonight at what it looks like to lay up treasures in heaven as opposed to earth. God, I pray that you would teach our souls that at the heart level, we would be motivated to pursue a life devoted to you, not to acquire things on this earth. God, we know that our hearts need to be taught that because they will not do that of their own accord. And so, God, we just submit our hearts to you. We ask that God, you would move in us that we would freely surrender our lives to you and, and how you would have us to live, how you would have us to pursue uh, things in this world uh, that are temporal, um, and how, God, we would leverage everything for your kingdom, treasuring the things of uh, eternity uh, to enjoy forever. So, God, would you bless us tonight as we uh, dive into your word, as we worship you, uh, for all that you are and all that you've done. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, back in January of 2019, a show premiered on Netflix called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Uh, if you don't know who Marie Kondo is, she is a uh, home organization guru. Uh, she goes into people's homes and helps them declutter and get things organized. Um, a few weeks after the show premiered, uh, there was a sudden surge in donations to thrift stores all across America uh, as people held 
inanimate objects in their hands and decided whether or not that item sparked joy for them. They asked the question, does this spark joy? That was her kind of little catchphrase. Now, I'm not here to knock Marie Kondo. In fact, I've actually kind of used some of her techniques in my own life, in my own home. Uh, That's not what I'm here to do. But I can't help but be reminded by the words of Jesus that we're going to look at tonight about what he says about laying up treasures in heaven. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn in them to Matthew chapter 6 tonight. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24. Throughout Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has been teaching about heavenly rewards. He talks about giving and praying and fasting and doing these things in secret where only the Father can see them take place. So that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we're going to continue on looking at the passage that we have to look at tonight and and seeing a summary of what has been leading up to this passage of the rest of Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to see how the king philosopher helps his disciples to have a kingdom perspective on stuff. How do we have a kingdom perspective on stuff? stuff. So hopefully you found Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 19 through 24. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 24 say this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In studying this passage tonight, we see four lessons on stuff. Four lessons on stuff. The first of which is that Stuff does not last long. Stuff does not last long. A Dutch study from 1998 found that the average lifespan of a t-shirt 
is 6.8 years long. The lifespan of a t-shirt. 6.8 years long. Now this made me curious about other stuff. A little bit more random stuff. Like a goldfish. The lifespan of a goldfish is 5 to 10 years. Assuming you get the goldfish from the pet store and not from the county fair. You've probably been there where you win the goldfish and by the end of the week you're saying goodbye to that goldfish. A PS4. Four to seven years until you need to replace the parts. But who would actually do that? Just wait for the PS5 to come out, right? A trampoline. Three to eight years. Uh, You would be better off spending your money on a bouncy castle, which lasts 10 years. A dartboard, two years. A pool table, five years. A toaster, six to eight years. A juicer, 10 years, which is also the same lifespan as a mailbox, which is 10 years. A kitchen table, anywhere between five and 20 years. A 4K TV, 80,000 hours to 100,000 hours. I'll let you do the math. I was a little too lazy to do that. Bottom line, none of it lasts. Stuff does not last long, which is why Jesus commands us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's a dual command. He gives that command and he gives another. Stuff doesn't last. Instead, he commands, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And this is what he's been saying throughout chapter 6 up to this point. When he's been talking about giving and praying and fasting, right? he says, when you give to the needy, do not let your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be, may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's right, Daniel. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's right. Giving, secret, father, reward. Praying, secret, Father, reward. Fasting, secret, Father, reward. He's talking about laying up treasures in heaven. Jesus is not talking about earning a jewel in your crown, like some sanctified merit badge. That's not what he's after. That's not a heavenly reward. No. The reward he speaks of is a greater capacity to enjoy God. That's the reward he's talking about. It's a greater capacity to enjoy God. The more you give, pray, and fast in secret, the greater your sensibility will be for what the king philosopher is doing as he ushers in the kingdom. 
you're more aware. You have a greater capacity to know and understand and enjoy what God's doing when you give, pray, and fast in secret. And when his kingdom is complete, you will have always and forever a greater appreciation for what has occurred. That's the heavenly reward. You can't stick that in a PS4 and play it. You would be better off gaining a reward you cannot see now, but will one day reap in heaven. You would be better off storing up treasure that you cannot fully appreciate now so that one day you will appreciate it in full for eternity. That's a heavenly reward. That's treasuring eternal things. And Jesus gives us two reasons in particular in this passage for why that's the better option. One, destruction, symbolized by moths and rust. The second, robbery, because of thieves. Have you ever had something that you value destroyed beyond repair? It doesn't happen to me very often. But when it does, I don't know how to handle it. Uh, Most recently, it was a a jacket, my favorite jacket. The zipper broke. Just as it's getting cold outside, my favorite jacket, the zipper broke. And the most frustrating thing is it it looks like it should still zip up. Like I can't tell what part of the mechanism isn't working anymore. But every time I try and I try and I try and it won't zip. I mean, it's just a jacket, right? No. No my favorite jacket. Have you ever had something that you value stolen from you? This happened to me back when I was still trying to pursue a career in film. As a prank, someone stole my camera worth a few thousand dollars. In that moment, when I noticed that it was missing, my heart sank and anxiety bubbled up and worry filled my brain as I wondered, where did this go? It wasn't just a camera worth a few thousand dollars. No, it was my path to fame and to self-glory so that when it was taken in that moment, anybody near me, I lashed out at them because no one could be trusted. Which brings us to our second lesson. Stuff can captivate your heart. Stuff can captivate your heart. We see that in verse 21, don't we? For where your treasure is, there, that's where your heart will be also. I invested a lot of wear and tear in my favorite jacket. I invested a lot of potential and ideas through that camera. And in doing so, I I passively surrender bits and pieces of my heart to inanimate objects. And they were more than willing to take the heart that I was willing to give. 
And if I'm being honest, it was difficult to take my heart back. Stuff can captivate your heart. And you don't have to have stuff for this to be true of you. You want to know one of my favorite channels on TV? You'd be surprised. It's HGTV. I know. Very funny. When I was living up in Kentucky, I lived with a very sweet uh, couple. Uh, they let me live in their basement, and uh, they had a great TV. And so whenever I was like wanting a break from studying seminary, which was often, I would just kind of flip over to the HGTV channel. And I, and I would tell people, it's great, because I just watched Chip and Joe go into these houses and renovate, and like I get to live vicariously through them. And it was great. And what I told people was like, look, I, this, this is a win-win for me. I, I can't renovate a house for two simple reasons. I don't have any money, and I don't have a house. But the American dream has a way of creeping in, doesn't it? Creeping into our minds. One day, one day I will have money. One day, I'll buy a house, and it'll be a nice house. And it'll be a better house than my neighbor's. And this will show that I have a better life than my neighbor. We've read something like that, haven't we? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we know that when the storm comes and sweeps the house away, great was the fall of it. The application Jesus is giving us in this passage is that we are to invest our heart in eternal treasures so it won't be broken, so it won't be taken by temporal things. Invest your heart in eternal treasures so that it won't be broken, it won't be taken by temporal things. Instead, we motivate our hearts to be captivated by God. And, and that's why we pray prayers like the Lord's Prayer, as we looked at last week. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We motivate our hearts in one another by holding each other accountable and asking about purchases and asking about how we live. We don't compete with one another. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. We care for one another. That's how Jesus would have us to live. We want to see each other invest our hearts in eternal treasures, and so we enter in. We dive into each other's lives and hold each other accountable. For me, that's my buddy Brian. Uh, he's really good about that. Uh, we meet once a month. To, he's an accountant, so he looks over my budget and asks some heart-probing questions about what I've been purchasing and seeing how I line up according to my budget. Now, I, I, dr I drive a 2013 Ford Fiesta. Don't be jealous. All right? If I'm being, if I'm being honest, I'm a little fed up with my car because it's a little embarrassing to drive. It gets me to a, from A to B just fine. But every month I catch myself on Toyota's website looking at those forerunners. 
those Toyota Tacomas. Just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I kind of want one. And so I go into my meeting to talk to Brian. I said, hey, you know, I'm uh, thinking about getting a Toyota. And every month he says, do you have enough saved up for that? No. Do you really want to go into debt with something? With and he doesn't even have to finish the statement. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. I get it, I get it. We all need a friend like Brian who dive into our budgets to dive into our hearts or for whatever else it is for you that people would ask you questions about the choices that you're making because we know they're extensions of our heart. You need a friend because stuff can captivate your heart. But another lesson that we learn is that stuff can also corrupt you. Stuff can corrupt you. We see that in verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What Jesus means when he says the eye is the lamp of the body is that by it we see everything there is to see. By our eye we see everything that there is to see. It's a metaphor for perspective. A way to view something rightly or wrongly. The person listening to Jesus teach this from the Sermon on the Mount is encouraged to have a healthy grasp of reality for the sake of his or her body or well-being. A footnote in the ESV study Bible says, The eye is a lamp that reveals the quality of a person's inner life. A healthy eye suggests loyal devotion to God, while a bad eye suggests moral corruption. It seems like a really obvious statement in how the eye either benefits or harms the body. But we need to think about these verses in their context, what comes before it and what comes after it. What comes before this passage is a principle that we as Christians must value heaven over earth. What comes after this passage is another Christian principle, that we as Christians must devote ourselves to God over money. We can safely assume then that a healthy eye values God and His kingdom, while a bad eye values money and our personal kingdom. Jesus delivers a parable later in Matthew chapter 20. It's a, it's a parable about the kingdom of heaven in which there is a master of a field who hires laborers, workers, to work the field throughout the day. Some laborers he hires right at the, the beginning of the morning and then a few more laborers in the middle of the day and then more laborers at the end of the day. And after the job is all said and done, it's payday. It's payday. And he pays them all a full day's wage, all of them, 
regardless of where, the, where they started in the day of working. And so at the very least, he's being fair. And at the most, he's being very generous. But some of the workers that started at the beginning of the day, they protested. And so, Matthew chapter 20, verses 13 through 15, we see the master reply. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys for a day's wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Or do you begrudge my generosity? That's an important phrase. Do you begrudge my generosity? It's an idiom. In fact, when you go into the Greek, uh, it, it says something different literally. When, when you translate literally from the Greek, you know what it says? Is your eye bad because I am good? Is your eye bad because I am good? Where else have we heard that phrase? I, is your eye bad? It's from the Sermon on the Mount. How interesting. And so we see, no pun intended, what is meant by a bad eye. Are you stingy? Are you not gracious? Are you not generous? Do you not rejoice over the good that comes to others? That's a bad eye. And your bad eye shows the corruption within you. And that corruption leads to utter darkness. And how great is that darkness? Stuff can corrupt you. And finally, stuff can push God away. Stuff can push God away out of your life. Say that in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The dichotomy that Jesus is establishing here for his audience is a matter of fact. It's not up for debate. One cannot serve God and money because the two will be rival influences when love and devotion come into play. We can either exclusively be devoted to God or exclusively be devoted to money. Warren Wiersbe says, It is not wrong to possess things, but it is wrong for things to possess us. What he's talking about there is idol worship. Worshiping something other than God. There is a case to be made for pursuing God and, and knowing that He is good to bless and, and being able to be generous with whatever He blesses you with. There's a case to be made for that. But how often 
And how easily do we see that take a turn for the worse and sour someone's soul? You get the job you always wanted. You get the promotion. You you make that deal. You trade out your master depending on the digits you rack up in your bank account. And you end up pushing God away. It isn't worth it. It's not. Matthew 16, 26 says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? It's not worth it. It isn't. It was about 10 years ago that I recognized there was an unhealthy pattern in my life, and I prayed a really dangerous prayer. I don't say this to make much of me. I say, I say it to make much of God. I prayed, God, give me exactly what I need. No more, no less. That's a dangerous prayer. What if he answers that? He will give you exactly what you need. No more, no less. I can tell you God's good to have answered that prayer in my life. I mean, you look at me, I don't live a luxurious life. I wear $5 polos from Kohl's. I drive a 2013 Ford Fiesta. I'm not saying you have to live like I live. I'm just saying. I know that these are fleeting things. That I've made my life about leveraging everything I am and everything I have towards God's kingdom. As a faithful servant of Christ and as a steward of the gospel. That that is my life's ambition. And Lord willing, that will always be my life's ambition. Regardless of how much or how little I have to my name because I'm devoted to God. Not man, not money, not any made thing, but to God and God alone. I love the words of Charles Spurgeon. Hold everything earthly with a loose hand, but grasp eternal things with a death-like grip. That's good, I gotta say it again. Hold everything earthly with a loose hand, but grasp eternal things with a death-like grip. What are you grasping for? What captivates your heart? I pray, I pray that you would invest your heart in eternal treasures. That your heart would not be broken or taken by the temporal things of this world. God, I pray that that would be true for us. That you would invest your heart in the eternal treasures that will always be there in eternity for you. So that your heart and this life on earth would not be broken. It wouldn't be taken by the temporal things, the fleeting things of this world. That's what I want for you. That's what I think Jesus would have us to do in reflecting on this text. 
This is Jesus' rebuke against your love of stuff. Investing your heart in stuff is materialism. And you don't have to have stuff to be a materialist. Jesus is correcting the way you collect stuff, the way you view stuff, the way you desire stuff. Now, I know we all have our hobbies. I think there's a time and a place for that. But we would be wise to remember the old adage. You can't hitch a U-Haul to the back of your hearse. Did you get that? You can't hitch a U-Haul to the back of your hearse. We'd be wise to remember that. There are no storage units in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Not, I go to prepare a place for your stuff. Jesus doesn't give a lick about your stamp collection. He is after your soul and the eternal well-being of those around you, wherever you go. That's what he cares about. That's what he's after. And what's really cool is we have some great application leading up to this passage, don't we? If you don't know where to start in laying up treasures in heaven, give, pray, fast. Fast. 